0: Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from somewhere in the western half of Canada. Episode 64, Enter the Fair. For the last several days, I've had a pamphlet folded open on my desk at the office. I've circled a few bullets, written some things in the margins, and I keep looking and thinking and being distracted by it as I try to get work done. I would put it away, but there is a deadline that is only a month away, so I need to keep it top of mind for planning purposes. It makes me one part excited and one part apprehensive. It is the information to enter my knitting and spinning into the local fall fair. The excitement is understandable. I have lived in cities most of my life, where fall fairs were almost unheard of unless you had friends who lived in more rural areas. I was never involved in 4-H. I'm not much of a gardener, never did much baking or canning, and my artistic pursuits as a child were more focused on wordsmithing than anything visual. As an adult, I slowly became aware of the fall fair concept, starting with the Western Showcase at the Calgary Stampede. The Western Showcase was a big event in the middle of an absolutely massive one, and it never occurred to me that similar events could happen in smaller centers until a few years ago, when a friend of mine entered her spinning in a bench show at a small-town fair. The apprehension comes from somewhere different. Once upon a time, I was a competitive fencer. Sport is set up to have winners and losers, and is inherently competitive. Now, I was never very good I entered competitions with the goal of achieving a personal best, not of winning a medal. I came within one point of a bronze once, which was thrilling. But as a fencer, your skill development is focused on enhancing your performance against someone else. You have to be faster, stronger, smarter than the person at the other end of the piste to get the points and win the match. Fibre arts is not sport. I don't learn new knitting techniques to have an advantage over another knitter. I don't work on consistency in my spinning to make me a harder opponent. Since January, I've realized exactly how important, how vital fiber arts are to my health and wellness. Will introducing an element of competition into my fiber arts, even just a few days a year, affect that? And what if I lose? But when these thoughts come around, which they do with surprising regularity, I take the time to remind myself of three truths. First, this is not the first time I've entered my work in an exhibition. In the late 90s, I put several cross-stitch pieces into the Western Showcase. I won some ribbons, and even a best-in-class medal for one of them. But winning those ribbons didn't change the enjoyment I got from working the pieces, nor did not winning a ribbon sour my experience for creativity. I continued to cross-stitch until my hands weren't able to do it anymore, and I chose projects because I wanted to work them, not because I wanted to win the showcase. Yes, there is a difference between spinning and knitting and stitching. There is skill in each, but in some ways, a skein of hand-spun yarn is a more personal entry. I chose what to do with the fibre, not just executed someone else's pattern. But though I might spin some yarn exclusively for the fair, one of the categories is for a singles of undyed wool, and I just don't spin singles normally, I am not spinning to win. I am spinning. For the love of spinning second i love being edited as a writer i developed the skill to take a step back and critically edit my own work as if i'd never seen it before i remember once writing a few pages for a writing class being happy with it then turning that switch in my brain and covering those pages with red ink and i can do that with my fiber arts too i know exactly where all the plying errors are in my 1500 yard wedding shawl skein and I'm trying to decide what to do about the three-inch section where one of the singles is very underspun. I know where all my ends are in my vest, and keep trimming them off if they come out to the front side. But I don't pretend to know everything there is to know about knitting or spinning. Constructive criticism from experts and outsiders is such a useful and valuable teaching tool. I provide it to my students all the time. Why should I be afraid of it for myself? And the third truth is perhaps the most important. When I went looking for the information about the bench show my friend entered, I discovered that there are no fiber arts categories in that show this year. If we as fiber artists don't support events like this by entering our work, they will disappear. Why would fair organizers go to the trouble of creating categories, printing up the rules, lining up judges, if the community doesn't care? How can we convince people that spinning is not a dying art, that the stereotype of knitting grandmothers is incorrect if, as a community, we don't get out in front of people and show them the truth? For me, that is the central reason that I am trying to decide which of my master spinner final projects I will enter in class C25, and if I'm going to try and spin a skein of novelty yarn for class C24, and which shawl I want to enter in class C10 and figuring out how to properly block my running bronze brick socks to enter in Class C-8. And it's also why I'm asking everyone I connect with in the community here if they are going to enter something in the fair. I have a month to sort out what to enter in the eight categories I've circled in the pamphlet on my desk. The fair is the first weekend in September, and though I might have butterflies in my stomach about winning or what the judges might have to say about my work, What I am looking forward to the most is seeing what other people enter. I hope some of them are there when I am, so I can tell them how great their work is and how wonderful it is that they entered it, and to talk about plans for next year. Because it's not about who wins or loses. It's about the community we form by taking part. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. fiber week when my parents retired a few months after uh, they were both retired i joked with them that they were busier then as retired people than they ever were when they were working and it, it's it's funny i was i was kind of teasing them about it but i've been officially unemployed since the beginning of august and what i've found is that i am really busy uh, it's it's funny how that works I'm doing some freelancing, um, finding some work. And that means I haven't had as much time to devote to my spinning as I necessarily would like, which kind of sucks. So I'm, I'm working on figuring out my schedule so that I can devote the time that I want to my spinning. And I think having this fall fair in front of me will help with that. Not necessarily with my the, the TPI study that I want to run, but with the Angora. Uh, one of the classes for the fall fair is any other fiber, which is com- completely broad. But I'm thinking about spinning up some of the Angora for it because it's local and I can get in touch with the lady who gave me the Angora and find out the name of the rabbit it came from, possibly get a picture. I think that would be pretty cool to enter into the fall fair. I'm waffling between whether I want to do a blend or whether I want to do straight angora. And I may sample, I know I've sampled the straight angora, so I may sample up the blend just to see how it looks. I have two colors of green merino, and I'm thinking of blending them both together to with the angora to get this nice sort of heathered green with this lovely fuzz from the angora. So I wanna sample that and see how it looks, and then I'll decide which skein I want to spin. That will hopefully give me a bit of focus on at least getting started with the with the Angora study. When the TPI study, I measured the ratios on uh, for my three flyers on my Lendrum, and naturally they were slightly off from the manufacturer's specs. The manufacturer always sends it, it's like, yeah, this one is six to one. Well, mine was five point eight eight, you know, and and that was the that was pretty pretty standard across all the flyers. Generally they were a little lower. I think one was a little higher, but they're they're in and around that 0.2 to 0.5 of a twist difference between what the manufacturer says and what I actually measured. So that was a that was good, you know, and 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 I know this, you know, and I and I tell my students this, you know, don't just trust what the manufacturer tells you because it may be way off. And of course, wood is a living thing. It, it reacts to its environment. There's a lot more moisture out here than there was back in Alberta. And I know that if I'm back in Alberta for any length of time, I'm going to have to remeasure all those ratios because it will probably change. But I did, I just did that um, yesterday. And now I have to do a whole bunch of math. I, I, I want to figure out which ratio is going to be best for which twists per inch and then go from there and and just front load all of that math and then start planning out my study, figure out what I want to do. So that's kind of, there's not much to report really on Master Spinner this week because I haven't been able to get much spinning done. But that is going to change. I'm going to prioritize giving myself some time to spin every day and I have to. For for another reason, I actually am spinning for an article for ply, and I need to have that yarn spun by the beginning of October. So I have to sit down and, and slot spinning time into every single day, so that I can get all of these things that I want done, done. And in between all of the other things that I'm trying to accomplish as well, but... I'm not retired, but it sure feels like it sometimes with how busy that I've gotten. So that's the update on the things I'm trying to do to continue to learn more about spinning. Let's move on back to the master spinner program and back to level four. Module A2 is about camel. Uh, There are five skeins in this particular module, three silk blends, one at 25-75 camel silk, one at 50-50 camel silk, and one at 75-25 camel silk, and and these are all camel down. There's also one skein at 100% camel down, and one skein at 100% camel hair, or what's also called low camel. So, camel down is amazing. It is soft and luscious and short stapled so you have to spin it woolen but really doesn't matter and fine and soft and warm. Camel hair is not. Camel hair is very coarse. And it's harder to find these days. If you can find if you if you find an online source for camel hair get some. Even if you're not in the Master Spinner program, it's really nice to have. It can, you know, you can blend it into things to give it a bit more structure. It can replace the tell uh, if you're trying to do a, a, a fake lopey. So there's lots of options there. But like I said, it's hard to find now. And when you're thinking about, you know, if you want to explore Camel, the down, yes, you can get the down. But if you can't get the hair, you're not really getting the whole feel for the camel. Camel hair has been used in the past for cordage, uh, ropes, halters, that kind of thing. So what can I say about these skeins? You're also required to write a little note about the characteristics of the camel down and silk blends and what they're best at. And I made myself a little table because I'm organized like that. Uh, about uh, looking at the characteristics. So I looked at drape, luster, softness, dye range, and end use. Because of course Camel Down comes in a light brown. And I, you know, figured out which one was best and, you know, which one was okay. And what I determined was that the 25% Camel Down and 75% Silk was the shiniest, drapiest, and lightest but it was more smooth and soft. So it had lost the characteristics of that camel down, that, that lovely softness. The 75% camel down, 25% silk retained the softness of the camel, but there was less drape or and luster from the silk. So in this case, your 50-50 was the best because it, it had the characteristics of both. Not the best characteristics of both, but it had it all. So... Yeah, if you're going to blend Camel Down and Silk, I recommend doing 50-50. You may not be happy with it otherwise. The 100% Camel Down and the 100% Camel Hair. The Camel Hair was spun worsted. Everything else was spun woolen, even the the silk blends. Now, I lost some marks. What did I lose marks for? Consistency. Shocking. Of course it's a woolen spin so you're going to have a little bit more inconsistency than you might in a worsted spin but there were still some um, slubs <clears throat> there were still some grist problems i had lots of variation in my angle of twist and also in my twists per inch and by level 4 you got to be focusing on this you have to be able to spin a consistent singles you have to be able to spin to to ply it consistently if you take nothing else away This is what you need to focus on, is is learning to spin consistently. Now, I worked full-time. I barely had time to do my homework. I didn't have time to practice this except when I was doing my homework. If you can, if you're going through the program, take the time. Just pick something. Pick a plain old Merino. Pick a Corydale. Pick something. Practice spinning consistently. Practice Getting the feel for how much fiber is going through your fingers. I came to the realization that because I have reduced feeling in the tips of my fingers, I will always have to look and I will still always have some inconsistencies in my yarns. I, was, I, I just accepted that I was going to lose marks for that. But if you can practice, it makes a huge difference. And that is one, one of the things I'm going to practice myself in this twist per inch study. Because to have a consistent twist per inch, I need to be consistent in my grist, so this is a this is a whole thing for me. Uh, that was an aside. Camel down, all camel, amazing. If you can get it, spin it. It's super fun. I didn't spin it, worsted, and that would be an interesting thing to try because, like I said, it's short stapled, and will it look be different? Probably, but it's probably more likely. Uh, to be it'll it'll be happiest spun woolen because it is so short so that is level four the next module in level four is a3 which is about cashmere level four is you know, level four is so fun with all of the the luxury fibers because you just you have so much fun spinning all this lovely soft stuff so so we'll talk about cashmere next time, and yeah, we'll we'll see where I'm at with my two studies. I'm hoping to have some Langora spun, and I'll let you know how that goes. Fiber Notes I gave myself an extra week for Tour de Fleece because I lost a week, and darn it, I finished my my skein. Uh, I I that was what I wanted to accomplish was that that two hundred and seventy gram skein for my wedding shawl, and I did it. But Sunday was six hours of plying. It was pretty well straight. It was uh, it was a long haul, and my fingers were really sore by the end of it. I'd done four hours earlier in the week, two in two hour blocks, but. It just, it never seemed to end. You know, I would ply and the bobbins just didn't seem to be getting any, any you know, less full. But eventually it did end. And it was interesting that I started from um, the, the last spun. I didn't reverse them on the bobbins. And these were two lengths of fiber dyed together. And so when I started plying and all of a sudden I got this massive section of barber pole I was really unhappy because and I and I have this thing I really hate the I love the way singles look on the bobbin I really hate the way plied yarn looks on the bobbin when I skein it off I love it it's the best thing ever so when I was plying this barber pole sections I was like I was really unhappy because that was not what I wanted I had expected a little bit of barber pole between sections, but I did not expect, like, lots of it. But then I got to the middle. And somehow in the middle, it all evened out again. Like I still had some, a little bit of barber pole, but I had lots of single color. And then at the end, I had maybe 40 yards, maybe less. I had about half... Of one layer, one of the initial layers, on one bobbin to Andean ply. Which was pretty impressive across 270 grams. I was really happy with that. And then I waited till the next day and I skeined it off and it was beautiful. About 861 wraps and 66 inches down the center before washing. I haven't measured it after washing, but I estimated it about, you know, it would lose about four inches around, which leads it to be approximately just under 1500 yards. That is a lot of yarn. That is a lot of lace weight yarn. So I went looking for patterns and I narrowed it down to eight patterns that I'm considering for this particular skein of yarn. However... I have misplaced my ball winder and swift. And I don't know about you, but I am not winding approximately 1,500 yards of yarn without a swift and ball winder. So until I find those, that wedding shawl project is on hold. And that's okay, because I have a ton of stuff to do. I've got a lot of spinning I need to accomplish. I'm freelancing. I have knitting projects that I need to finish. So I can take the time to decide which of these eight patterns I really like which which one I'm going to actually use. I will track down my Swift and Ballwinder or borrow one and uh, and then I will start on my wedding shawl. So yay for Tour de Fleece. I actually got it done. I'm very happy about that. Knitting projects, I didn't quite get things done. I'd forgotten that there were there's two mittens in a pair of mittens I I don't know how you can forget that because it's literally a pair of mittens so I finished the first fingerless mitten for my nephew and uh, then started the second and it's going really well like the first I don't know about you I find that the first sock or the first mitten or the first whatever of a pair takes the longest because you're constantly trying it on and trying to figure things out and the second one you've already done that so you just look at the first one and go okay I have to go to here and then here and then here so despite the fact that I just finished the first mitten last weekend, I'm already just about ready to, to take the thumb gusset uh, stitches off of the second mitten. So I should be done probably in the next day or so, depending on how much knitting time I have. So that's that feels good. And I really like this pattern. I'm thinking about making them again for myself. I'll have to go up a needle size. They're pretty tight on me. And I definitely will do it in a solid or a semi-solid because these sports team colors are quite garish. I mean, don't get me wrong. They, it's great. It'll be perfect for my nephew. I would never wear them. So I'm going to look for a solid or a semi-solid and, uh, and then probably knit them again for myself. Because I I, I do like them. I like the way they fit. I like the way they feel. I just need a little bit more space. I haven't managed to get much work done on the hand towel. But that will be my purse knitting once these mittens are finished. And then there's the fair spinning. Now, I've already talked about the angora because that will be part of that study. But... This, you know, singles in unwashed, or it's not unwashed, uh, this singles in undyed wool thing. I don't do singles. Gosh darn it. Anyway, but I have some lovely Jacob from a gentleman in Alberta. He he provided me with a couple of Jacob fleeces and I washed two thirds of, I believe it's the ram fleece because it was huge. So I have some washed Jacob So I'm going to prep that a couple ways. I'm going to prep it. I'm going to card it and I'm going to try combing it. And I'm going to sample those and figure out which. And then I'm going to spin a gradient. Because, of course, Jacob is a multicolored fleece. So I'm going to spin a gradient of this natural Jacob. Do it as a singles. uh, And then submit that for the fair. Because that will be fun. Another category is hand-dyed yarn with a worked sample. I was digging around in my dresser and I did find a skein that I'd spun uh, just to test out my Landrum. But it's a full gradient. So I, I hesitate to actually submit that one, like knit up a little bit and spin that, uh, submit that one because it is a gradient through the whole skein. And, you know, knitting up a small swatch will not show that. But what I might do is take a braid or find something and do a a fractal and then knit up a sample from that and see what happens. I know that I've only got a month and we're already 11 days into August but you know what if I don't get it done I don't get it done. And then I don't, I don't enter in that category, but I'd like to enter in as many categories as I can. So that's why I keep planning and thinking about it, but I'll start with the Jacob. I'll start with the Angora. And if I don't get the hand dyed yarn with a, with a swatch done, then I don't. So that's what I'm working on. And yeah, I'm hopeful that I'll have that, um, that Jacob finished in two weeks. I'd better have it finished in two weeks and, uh, and a few other things. And yeah, I'll keep you updated about whether I find my Swift and Ballwinder. They have to be here somewhere. I'm just not sure where. <music> Cranking on the fiber side. So last weekend, Randy and I went for a drive. A couple weeks ago, I was looking on Kijiji and found a sock knitting machine for sale, really close by. It had been listed 22 hours earlier, and I messaged her and I was the first one to message. Now I've been looking for a sock knitting machine for about a year or so. And part of the reason I've been looking for it is because it's something that, you know, Randy has shown an interest in. The, the mechanics and the machine and, and how it does what it does. And of course, I'm interested in it because it makes socks. It makes socks in two hours. And yeah, granted, they're just plain socks, but still. So the machine that I ended up getting is about a 19... It's 1925, give or take, an auto knitter with all three cylinders. Now, some of the pieces are showing some metal fatigue, but all three cylinders come with a ribber, and as far as I can tell from the manual, which it also came with, all the pieces are there. Now, let me just talk about the manual for a second. The original manual, complete. There's, there's one page that has a little bit of, of a corner uh, ripped out that's taken some of the text, but otherwise the entire manual is there. That is so invaluable to, to when you're trying to figure out what something how something works. Or what it is or or how how it does and this manual is complete it has like just here's here's what each piece does here's how you learn how to do it and you know here's how you how here's how you package the socks to send back to the company this is this is how people made money in 1925 and i have it all i i have it all so you know it 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 just thrills me that I finally got this and it is as complete as it is so I have to clean it there's no rust which is also pretty amazing there is a bit of metal fatigue but I'm I don't think it's mostly on the rivers and I don't think that will affect how it works so we got to get it cleaned and I I have an order of wool coming from a wholesaler who also deals with the sock knitting or the, the, the sock knitting machine community and then we'll just start running it through its paces. You know, seeing it work again. This is a lot like my my great wheel and my great grandmother's wheel. These are old machines that just want to do what they're meant to do. And so I have another one now. And this is something that Randy and I can, can work on together. You can do the mechanic part and I'll pick up the drop stitches. <laughs> so... I'm really looking forward to, to joining the ranks of the crankers, as it were, and uh, and figuring this out and 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 showing people the, this history of of knitting and knitting machines as well. So, this will probably be a new segment as I get the auto knitter back up and running, figure out how it works, and you know, make a bunch of socks. By the wayside. I finished the chainmail. I wasn't sure I was going to, but I did. And so I'm pretty thrilled about that. So now I'm just deciding what to do next. Uh, There's a few little bits and pieces that I can do in this particular section before I have to move the frame. And I'm trying to decide whether to go up or across first. And I'm leaning more towards across simply because up at the top there's a lot of straight stitch and i think i'd rather do that all at once than split that up so i think i'll go across the bottom of the piece finish all the back stitching and then move up like you would if you had it on a roller bar instead of on a on a q snap so that's where i'm at there uh, you know it's i'm not enjoying it but I'm not hating it either, which is an improvement, and, uh, and I'll take that. And I think part of it too is that, you know, now that I've simply accepted it's going to be what it's going to be, I can, I can like it and just keep on plugging away at it, which I will do. Thank you for joining me for episode 64. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 65 on August 25th, 2019. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion on Facebook or Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at bythefiberside, that's F-I-B-R-E, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. This is by the fiber side.